that were saying that God has earmarked Syracuse. I mean, they're from Texas and various parts of the world. That God has earmarked Syracuse to do a great move of God in Syracuse. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss any of that. I want to be a part of it. I want to sort of, even if it takes getting in with my, you know, with, with my coattails or whatever, however you'd say it, I don't want to miss that. And I don't want us to miss what God has planned. So God has really, if I were to describe what God has been sort of speaking to me in the sense that I get in my spirit is God is calling us deeper. He's made it clear what his plans are. He's made it clear what he's wanting to do in us and through us and in this area. And he's saying, I want you to be ready. I want, I want you to dig your, allow your roots to go deeper, to dig deeper in your walk and in your faith. I want you to be ready for what I'm doing. And for some of us, you know, uh, Christianity is just, you know, a, a passing religion that, uh, you know, we go to church on Sunday and that's about the extent of our faith. And God is calling us to take a step forward and go deeper. You understand? You know, some of us, he is our life. And, and no matter what he's saying or doing, we're sold out. Uh, we want to do it. We want to do it with the best of our ability. He's calling us to go deeper. It doesn't matter where we're at in this walk, in this journey. We're all in process. But the key thing is we're moving forward. We're going after him. We're hearing his voice. We're responding to it. And so therein lies why we're going to talk um, about this topic called follow. I want to talk to you about follow because as Jesus walked the earth, um, some of the most profound things that he said were very much misunderstood. Very much misunderstood. In fact, um, as we get into this, you're going to see it's like, wow, how did we miss this? I'm not trying to bring any new revelation. You know, you always got to be wary of that, although God is always revealing things. I'm trying to just go back to what Jesus said, how he lived his life, how he called his disciples to follow him. And so I want to talk about that. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to introduce this topic today and get deeper as the weeks unfold. But Matthew chapter 4, this is like right in the beginning. There's a genealogy and and, you know, some documentation about Jesus' birth and the, the Magi visit and the angels come and the shepherds celebrate. But right in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, right in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we read this, Matthew 4, verse 18. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 19, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Maybe your translation says, I will make you fishers of men. That's a more popular way of of saying that. But he says, Come, follow me. And something's going to happen in you where you're not going to be fishing for fish. You're going to be reaching out and impacting people's lives. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. He probably said something similar. Come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Whatever he said, he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father 
and followed him. Now, if we take a step back from this for a moment, Jesus did not say, hey, pray a little prayer, invite Jesus into your heart, and everything's going to be good. You know, he didn't, he, he didn't say, you know, repeat these words after me. And yet, there's this radical, and I mean radical, response by these four fishermen. All of them happen to be fishermen. This radical response. I mean, they're in the middle of their job. They didn't even hit lunchtime yet, you know? They just got off their union workers, and they just got off their break, you know, their 15-minute break, and they're getting back to mending the nets and doing their thing, and all of a sudden, he says, come follow me. And now we don't hear their response like, well, I hate this job anyway. It's never going to amount to, I haven't gotten a raise in five years. We don't hear none of that. We just see that they dropped what they were doing and they left and followed him. Now, if that's not radical, I don't know what is. Now, there is some story behind the story that I will share with you. But there's this call that Jesus makes to follow him. And we don't know to the extent that these guys left, these four fishermen. Now, he did end up calling other people to follow him. But to the extent of what they did leave. I mean, clearly they left their job. John and James, the sons of Zebedee, that was their father's business. We know that. So they left their father's. That they, he probably was, what did this guy, these guys left me high and dry. Imagine if it's a family business and you walk out on it. They just up and left. They, they, they start touring the, the nation of Israel, Galilee, Nazareth, these various cities. They go through Samaria. So they, whatever family connections they had, they up and left. A, a radical response, a radical change took place in those moments. And I think in our culture, we're more focused on believing than following. I believe in Jesus. You can go to anyone or most people and they'll tell you they believe. Right? But Jesus didn't simply say, believe and that's enough. He wants us to follow him. And it goes deeper than simply giving verbal assent to something. You understand? He's calling us to follow him. So what does this mean? I mean, we could break apart that passage a lot more. Like, are these guys crazy? Do they even know Jesus? Is this a common thing to just up and go? I can answer these questions as we go on, but this, there is a radical change. So they're abandoning friends, their professions, their possessions, their safety, their security. And we live in a culture now where it's more focused on self as opposed to, um, you know, abandoning the things that we're, that we're, uh, that we have involved in our lives. And his call will look different to each and every one of us but he still calls us to follow. Our culture is so focused on self, self-protection, self-preservation, self-entertainment. You know, as long as I'm taken care of first, then we'll talk about some other things you're asking for me or asking of me. You know, we're so focused on making sure our needs 
are met. And these disciples willingly left everything. What is this all about? What, what is happening here? So I began to ask the question, what does it mean when Jesus asks me to follow him? What was Jesus asking when he said, he used those two words, those two words that changed everything for so many people and continue to this day to change people radically? What does it mean when he says, follow me? It'd be good for us to start off today getting a good grasp of that. It'd be good for us to understand that because we really, you know, Jesus talks about counting the cost. And if we're, if we're just coaxed into praying some prayer and that's the extent of our commitment, man, that's easy. But if that prayer is, is not the, the, the whole intent of Jesus calling us, and we're thinking, I've already satisfied Jesus, you know, what his expectations are for me. We're thinking that I've satis- we've satisfied his call on our lives by praying a prayer, but he meant something different. Wouldn't you want to know that? Wouldn't you want to know what he really meant by follow me? Well, the, in, my, uh, in my next few messages, I hope to answer that question. I know this, that Jesus was a selfless person. There's probably no one who ever walked the face of the earth that was as selfless as him, that was as sacrificial. He was completely surrendered to his father's will. He was so sacrificial. He he laid it all down. And um, he was able to pull off something because it was, it was, he never chose to follow after his own desires. He was a follower of his father. He would use words like, I don't even say what I don't hear my father saying, and I don't do what I don't see my father doing. Everything about me is modeled after my relationship with my father, the the love relationship I have with my father, and I live to please him. Jesus was a great follower. And if you you, uh, follow the story of these four disciples, you see that they really not only laid down their life to the degree where they walked away from their jobs and, you know, friends and, and uh, their, their, all their commitments and all that stuff, but the re- reality is their lives ended serving Jesus. Their lives were taken from them, and they were still at that point wholeheartedly following after Jesus. So they were good followers as well. I think that we can learn some things from these guys in this scenario that can help us understand what it means to follow him. So in the Bible, to the best of my knowledge, the words follow me, Jesus using them, are used 20 times. And there's two different Greek words that are used in that process. The first one is opizio. It's used two times out of the 20. And it carries this meaning, to be behind, at one's back, to follow after someone. Meaning like a physical, literal, reorient your life to go where I go, do what I do, follow me. That makes sense, right? It's pretty straightforward. Two out of the 20 times this word apesio is used. Reorient your life to follow me. The second word that's used out of these 20 times for the word follow is akaluthio. I don't have a lisp. 
Akaluthio. And this is used 18 times when he says, follow me. And it carries the idea of to imitate in a, in a determined and purposeful manner. Imitate. I mean, focus, determined. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to imitate you. Where you go, I go. What you say, I say. What you do, I do. I remember some song we sang like that. To imitate in a purposeful manner. And so um, if you put these two, the, uh, the words together and, and try and decipher what they're meaning, it could, say so, it could mean something like this. To follow Jesus, to follow him, it means that we reorient our lives to Christ and we imitate him to others. We reorient our lives to Christ and we imitate him to others. Now, that sounds good. But if you really want to get the meaning of follow me, you got to go back to the culture in that day. Because follow me in this day means something totally different. You know, I followed you. You know, I followed you. Uh, I did it. I accomplished it. It's done. It's behind me. I satisfied your request. Um, but there's this, this idea in that day that is it's captivating when you think about it. So what did uh, follow me mean to those people? Because Jesus didn't only call them to believe that he existed. He didn't only call them to believe that he was the Messiah. There was, in that culture, the word even believe meant that you, you understand, but it also uh, determines the actions that you take. You believe to the degree, to the degree that you're going to do something about it. You know, so it's not like our belief is, yes, I believe pizza is good. <laughs> you know, I, um, I believe that Jesus loves me. You know, it, it's there's there's a tie to an action associated with that belief. The Bible says the demons believe and they shudder. Right. I mean, they believe, but it doesn't. It doesn't change who they are. They're still deceivers and liars, and, and they do what they do to oppose God's work. Uh, they do what they do to support their master's work, which is to steal, kill, and destroy. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah, right? And so God is at work on the earth calling people, people to a deeper place. This last Saturday there was this, uh, this gathering of Christians in Orlando called The Send. And at that place, there was about 60,000 Christians that came together in this, uh, this auditorium or arena outside in Florida, Orlando area, about 60,000 of them. And this whole gathering was meant to get people together to challenge them to go and accomplish the things that God has called us to do. And so thousands of people said, I will, I will serve in my neighborhood. Thousands of people said, they committed to, I, I, will, I will take an active role in the high schools in my area. Thousands of people said, I will, I will seek God about becoming a missionary. And, and there's this movement, this, this grassroots movement of people rising up to say, I will do what God is calling me to do. 
It's more than just being a Christian and being in church on Sunday. He has empowered us to make a difference in our world. And so to these men who were fishermen, to up and leave, it may sound really weird in our culture, but let me tell you what's going on in their culture. Jesus was a rabbi. And rabbis were, uh, rabbis were uh, religious they, they represented the religious order in that day. The religious teachers, they were experts in the, the scriptures. And it would be highly um, honoring to follow a rabbi in that day. Highly honoring to be associated with a rabbi, to be able to travel with a rabbi, to be taught by a rabbi. It would be highly honoring. Now these guys are just, these guys are fishermen. I love fishing. I think it would be very hard to do that as a, as a career choice. These guys are like mending their nets. They're casting their nets. They're, they're on the seashore. Uh, they had a rough night. Peter says he had a rough night. He fished all night and caught nothing. I mean, that's a rough night. You stay up all night, but you have nothing to show for it. You know, these guys are fishermen. They're being called by a rabbi to follow him. And this is a very uncommon thing as well. And to understand why it's uncommon, it's good to understand the educational system in that day. In that day, they pretty much used the Bible to teach uh, students. When you went to school, you would memorize the scriptures, you would write the scriptures, you would verbalize the scriptures. And so you learned to read and write and memorize by uh, through the scriptures. And at five years old, you're starting to write them out and memorize them. By the time eight years old, eight, you're eight years old, um, you, you have several portions of scripture memorized, and you know how to write it out, and you verbalize it. That's how you demonstrate that you know the scriptures. By 13, you're now not only have memorized a lot of the scripture, the first five books of the Bible, called the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I mean, are you kidding me? This was their life. This was their school, their education, learning the word of God. And they not only have this solid understanding of the word of God, but now they're sharing the interpretations of the rabbis that teach them. Because, you know, you can look at the scripture and have a different take on it, right? So the rabbis would give their take, and this is my view, this is my understanding. By 13, they're sharing the interpretations of the rabbi. By 18, many of them were married. It was like around the average age that they would get married. By 20, they're learning a trade. They're done with their school. But the best students, the ones that memorize the most, I mean, think about this. You have trouble memorizing a, one verse. They're memorizing five books of the Bible, at least. And as they get older, they're going beyond the Torah into the prophets and the other writings that are in the scriptures. By the time they're 20, they're learning a trade so that they can make money for their family. But the best students would continue to study, study the word of God, uh, get around uh, the rabbis and get their understanding of them. 
And beyond that, the best of the best of the best would have the opportunity to follow a rabbi. Now, sometimes, sometimes in that day, a student would ask a rabbi if they could follow them. And we see this in Scripture. We see people approaching Jesus. He said, they would say, Rabbi, I will follow you. He's, his response, oh, the foxes have nests, or foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another one said, oh, I will follow you. He said, let me just go say goodbye to my family. Um, and he would, he would respond with, you know, let the dead bury their dead. There were people seeking to follow Jesus in that day. But it would be an extreme honor to be invited by a rabbi to follow him and be one of his disciples. I mean, an extreme honor. So here's this rabbi walking along the Sea of Galilee, asking them, follow me. And it makes a lot more sense that you would get up and leave your job, the, the craziness, the doldrums, the board, you know, I fished all night, I didn't get anything. It would make a lot more sense now that you would leave what you're doing to become a disciple. I want to point out to you that they were fishermen again. They didn't make the cut. They had not made the cut. They were not in the process of studying under rabbis. And yet they were called to follow Jesus. And that should be something that we consider really important to us. You know? I mean, in our world, the best of the best get the promotion. The best of the best. The most brilliant people. The, the people who have the greatest privileges, they get the opportunities. The people that get the inheritances, they, they succeed more than the common everyday person who has to work their butt off to get promoted, right? But in Jesus' world, he doesn't only take the best of the best. He's calling us to be his followers. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. It's not based on your, uh, all your accomplishments. It's not based on your accolades. It's not based on the certificates that are hanging on your wall. He's calling us, the greatest man that ever lived, to be his followers. He's calling us to go after him. Just like these fishermen. You know, they up and left. He's calling us to do the same in our world. I'm not telling you to leave your jobs. Please do not leave your jobs. I'm saying in the sense that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay down everything to make him number one. Now, let me tell you something. The rabbi, uh, in, in that day, in the school system, you know, the students would want to learn what their teacher taught for, and even in this day, uh, students want to learn what the teacher teaches so that they could pass the test, so they could complete the course, so that they can get the certificate. But in that day, a student or a disciple of a rabbi, they don't want to simply know what their rabbi knows. They want to be like their rabbi. They want to become like the rabbi. They want to, uh, they want to um, believe what the rabbi believes. They want to operate the way the, uh, the rabbi operates. They want to be just like him. And one of our values is we are growing to be more like Jesus. So Jesus goes and invites these guys to follow him. They know exactly what he's asking them to do. 
They're asking them, he's asking them to lay down their lives, their dreams, their plans, their purposes, and follow after him so that they could become like him. They could become just like him. And there comes a point in time where there's so much like him uh, that he will send them out to represent them. And that's what Jesus did. Uh, Luke chapter 9, he sends the 12 out. I want you to go heal the sick, cast out devils, or raise the dead. Luke chapter 10, he sends out the 72. I want you to go out and, and bring, you know, find the person of peace and, and go there. And when, uh, when you find that person of peace, if they receive you, then um, let your blessing be upon that home and upon that city. But if they don't, shake the dust off your feet and find another place to go. And that was representative of the rabbi that they were going out. But when you get mature enough, then not only are you... Um, going out and representing your rabbi, you are making your own disciples. Matthew chapter 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. So this word follow, this word follow is a lot more than many of us have really processed personally in our lives related to our faith. It really carries with it a whole bunch of commitment. I am am committed to you to the end I will lay down my life for you. I'm seeking to become like you. You know, the things that are holding me back, I'm cutting off. You know, the Bible talks about a dead to our old ways, dead to ourself, dying to those things so that I could live for him. The word follow really is a call to die. It's a call to die to my will. That's why Jesus, in the garden, he always fulfilled his father's desires. Jesus in the garden. The night before he's hung on the cross, he asks his disciples to pray for him. And, you know, three times he went back, they were sleeping. I get that. I understand that. Um, I'd probably be in the same boat, you know. But Jesus, this was his prayer. Father, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. That, to me, is a beautiful example of a follower in this context. Not my will, not my way, not my wishes, not my desire, but your will be done. Your will be done. And some of us are still so focused, because we live in this world, we're so focused on self. No, my will be done. My ways. I'm going to make sure I got mine first. I'm going to make sure I'm taken care of first. And then I'll decide if I want to, I want to um, support your, your desires, Lord. Then I'll decide how much of me I can give to you. And that's not what Jesus asked. He didn't ask you to simply believe. He asked you to follow. This is what it meant in those days to follow a rabbi. To become like him. A rabbi would invite people and saying, follow me. Follow me. I want to share with you a couple scriptures related to this. And I, I also want to just say, this is a crucial, crucial message for this day. This is a crucial message for the church of Jesus Christ. Because we've, we've gotten so caught up in being a believer and not a follower. We've divided the two. We've separated it. 
And in Jesus' day, there was no such thing as separating it. So when he said, follow me, it was all in or nothing. You know? All in. It's a, it's a message that we need to hear. It's a message we need to contemplate. And it's a message that demands a response. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it's okay to be a part of the B team. The reality is, I love the fact that we don't have to qualify ourselves to follow this Lord and Savior. He's qualified us. He's qualified us, and he's confident in his calling of us that we could become like him. He's confident that we could become like him because his Holy Spirit's powerful. You know, I think sometimes this whole gospel thing is complicated. It's gotten more complicated than it needs to be. It's really very, very simple. Follow me. Respond to my spirit. I'm going to transform your life. Let, let my words sink deep into you. You're going to be a different person. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. We've gotten, you know, we've gotten layer upon layer of complication to this. Mankind complicates things all the time. He just wants us to follow him. You know? And that does, it does mean it costs us something. It does mean that it's not always our way. You know? It does mean that he is Lord. Romans 8.29, it says this. It says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I want to just explain this briefly. It's always been God's plan to make you like his son, Jesus. That's what it says right there. It's always been God's plan to make you like his son, Jesus. Whether this concept of rabbi, disciple is foreign to you or not, it's always God's plan to make you like him so that, you th- so that we can begin to think like God does, so that we can take the actions that God does, you know, so that we can impact the world around us. It's always been God's plan for us to be conformed to the image of his son. This is, to me, one of the most significant concepts in all of the New Testament, that Jesus came and did a great work, but then he hands the baton to his people and he says, I want you to go and do a great work. It's his confidence in us that allows us to go and continue the work that he started. Being conformed to the image of his son and the fact that he's chosen us. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's empowered us to change the world around us. Here's the last verse I'll share with you as I close. In Mark 8, verse 34 and 35, it says, Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. If you want to be my disciple, there's there's some things that you're going to have to lay down. There's some things that um, are going to have to become secondary to you. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Mind you, Jesus had not gone to the cross at this point. But they knew in that day and time that the Roman uh, form of crucifixion meant death. 
It meant something or someone was going to die. And he said, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to deny yourself, and something about you has got to die. Something about your ways and who you are and who you long to be. I need to become Lord for you to be my disciple. He goes on to say, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. I believe wholeheartedly that God is calling his church to come up to a new level. A new level of sacrifice. A new level of commitment. A new level of acknowledging him and his ways and his intentions and his plans. And putting aside the things, the creature comforts, the things that, you know, uh, uh, we've decided, God, I'm going I'm to let you be Lord this, this much in my life. You get 25% of me, you know? It used to be 20. You better be thankful. I've given you 5 more percent. The reality is it wasn't that way in his day. It wasn't that way. It was, come, follow me, and watch what I do in your life. And so today, I just want to start off with uh, an introspective call. This can really... This can really hit hard when you think about it. Am I really surrendered to God? Is my life really his or is it mostly mine? Has this agreement I've established with him uh, out of convenience, like a get out of hell free card? Or is it, Lord, you are Lord of my life. I don't care what you ask of me. I don't care where you ask me to go. I don't care what you want me to do. I belong to you. I belong to you, God. I belong to you. And to the best of my ability, I, I, I don't want to hold anything back from you. It is hard in this day and age to live that way. Because we've got so many things around us pulling at us, drawing our attention, dra- grabbing at our heart, Um, You know, our hearts divided in so many different ways because we have this desire and this dream and this desire. But God's saying, you know what? Would you be willing to lay down everything about who you are and let me, let me have control? Let me lead you? You know, the Bible does say, just to give you some level of comfort, that he, he gives us the desires of our hearts. That's because he puts those desires in us. You know, he's not this, this horrible taskmaster that wants to, you know, squash us with his thumb and, and, and make us into nothing. He loves us, but he has a plan for us, too, to change this world. I want to invite you to stand as I close in prayer. And I want to ask you to think about you. Think about where you're at in your life. You know, it could be quite convenient to be a Christian in this day and age. You know, we got our friends, we got our church family, we've got uh, people that we connect with well, that we know and love, and, you know, out of convenience, we could be a Christian. But I think Jesus is calling us deeper to say, are you really mine? Would you 
willingly choose to follow me. Let's just close our eyes for a second. It's a heavy duty call. And maybe a good starting point is I've got to take a step forward or two because I do realize that there's things in my life that I haven't given him lordship over. But from 2,000 years ago, those words still echo in our hearts. Follow me. Follow me. Do the things I do and imitate me. And right now before God, Lord, I, I thank you, God, that, Father, there's, there's some things in every one of us, God, that I just ask that, Holy Spirit, you would reveal. Whether today in this moment or, Lord, throughout the week, God, that we'd be thinking about, what is it that's keeping me from being totally in? What is it that's keeping me from being uh, totally surrendered to you? You know, people like Peter and these different disciples, we have a, we have a good time exposing their flaws, but they were totally in. They just up and left, God. And in our lives, we want to say that nothing matters more than you. There's no second place with you, God. The call is to follow you and become like you. So, Lord, maybe we walked in this place without a desire to be that way, but, Father, I pray by your Spirit that you begin to stir some things in us, God that we would learn how to follow. We would learn how to follow your way, not ours. We wouldn't try and justify our shortcomings. We wouldn't try and uh, make up excuses for what we're not doing. But Lord, we would just look to you and say, God, help me, help me to follow you the way you've called me to follow you. And so, Father, I bless your people today, God. Father, may we become uh, more committed, Father. May we go deeper in this walk, God. We recognize that you're doing great things in our midst. We recognize, God, that, Father, you have great plans. Lord, and we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss what you're doing, God. So, Father, I pray for people. I pray for families. I pray for homes, God. I pray, Father God, that that what you're doing would transcend, Father God, the barriers that would try and keep you out, Lord. But God, that you would have your way, God. Like Jesus said, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my way, but yours be done, Lord. And so, Father, I bless your people today, God, as we seek to go deeper in you. I thank you for what you're doing, Lord, from the bottom of my heart. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Well, we have ministry workers here. Be here in just a minute. (laughs) If you need prayer for anything, please take a minute and respond and get some prayer. But let's, let's let this week be a week that we go before God and say, God, what are you doing in me? What are you saying to me? Because I've referred to myself as a follower many times. 
But I want to truly follow you, Lord. God bless you guys. We love you.